Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to William Rush, Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now, on with the show. Warning, the following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. I'm Ashley. (laughs) I'm sorry. I did that on purpose right before I hit record. You're welcome. Oh, he cleared his throat and it sounded... (laughs) Sounded like a cat coughing up a hairball. Oh, that wasn't fair or nice. It was (laughs) Way too tired for this. It was perfect. I don't know. I don't know if I'm tired because it's late or if I'm tired because of the movie we just watched. (laughs) Did it it, uh, warp your fragile little mind? It was exhausting. (laughs) So this week... We're, We're talking about Videodrome. Yeah, this is a... I was going to preface that with this is our first Easter egg of our extravaganza 2022. Well, you just take off their Easter bunny. <laughs> and this is for our friends William and Zena Rush. Hey, guys. Hey. We absolutely adore them and everything they've they've helped us with with the show and uh, the attention they brought to us. And this is our way of saying thank you. And we think you guys are pretty damn terrific. You're pretty all right. <laughs> like, all right, all like right, our, all right. Yeah, I was going to say like all right, all right, all right. You can't just say it one time. <laughs> like if, if you say it the one time, you have to say it the other two times. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Travis and I were just having a conversation off mic about... I feel like with Cronenberg films, this being the second one for us to cover, you you either love them or you hate them. I, I feel like, I mean, he's obviously gotten a lot of recognition for films like The Fly and some of his latter work, like Eastern Promises and stuff. But I feel like there's a lot of his films that are are really overlooked. In that, and I think that's really sad because... Cronenberg is such a visionary and I think that you don't it's not necessarily in terms it's not exactly like Lynch where you can watch one of his films a thousand times and not understand what you've just watched I feel like Cronenberg gives you just enough of his commentary that you can kind of pick it out and either draw your own conclusion or on some level understand what he's talking about and I feel felt like this movie had a lot to say. Now, whether or not he was specifically trying to tell me that or if I was drawing my own conclusions from it is one thing, but I can draw conclusions. And so I think that's that's the difference between those two filmmakers. See, I I think it's interesting that you brought up Lynch because I was going to bring up Lynch as well and that they these two those two filmmakers are uh similar. Definitely mm-hmm. similar. Uh, I feel that Cronenberg's message is a little bit clearer in his films, but I still, and, and I agree that he does give you more information than Lynch does, but I think they both come from the same place of, yes, I'm trying to say something. If you don't figure it out, too bad. 
I don't know that Lynch is trying to say something. I think he wants us to think we're trying to say something. <laughs> <laughs> but you brought up an interesting point earlier that, you know, with, with Cronenberg, you either love him or you hate him. Yes. Right? And Lynch is kind of in that same camp. People yes. either love Lynch or they can't stand Lynch. Right. I, I'm, I like Lynch. I do. Um, with Cronenberg, I am neither on nor off that bus. Remember those Garfield suction cup things that people used to put on their back glasses on the inside? I'm that, but I'm on the outside. Like, I want to ride the bus, but I don't want to be on the inside with all those weird people. You mean me? Yes. So. I will cling to the top of the bus. I couldn't help but notice this phone came out out in 83, the year of my birth. And I'm wondering what it says about me. There's there's some uh, similar beats between me and an unmentioned character that I'm not going to go into. If the lament configuration was a real thing, Cronenberg would be the guy to open it. He would. But yeah, made in 1983, and there's a lot of people that like this film. It's an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. And if you look at our history as of late, that's pretty high for us. Right, right. <laughs> we've, been, we've been setting our bar real low. <laughs> well, we had a few movies there towards the lat- latter part of this season that were rated pretty high. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, but it's a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb and a 60% on Metacritic. Okay. I am curious as to why there's such a there's a twenty percent discrepancy between Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. Usually they're a little bit closer together. Mm-hmm. You know, Who usually there's knows? less than like a ten percent variance, right, between the two. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, again, it's just it's it's not like I can't stand when people belittle other viewers saying, "Well, you didn't like the film because you didn't understand it." I I don't like that. That's that's too broad a generalization. I just feel like you have to be a certain type of personality, I guess, to enjoy his films. I feel like there has to be something kind of dark already living inside you in order to enjoy what he offers. Well, and I would make the argument that people don't necessarily have to understand it to enjoy it. Right, right. Yeah. I just, I, I think the people who probably don't like Cronenberg or, you know, they don't, they're not really the nihilistic type or the realistic type. You know, they want puppy dogs and rainbows and <laughs> all that stuff. And I tend to actively veer away from that type of stuff. Yeah, well, Cronenberg's material tends to actively highlight uh, the points where we suck as humans. Yes, he, he targets those specifically. And, and a lot of times that makes people uncomfortable. They don't want to have to think about um, how terrible humans are sometimes. Right. And I'm so. usually the one to go, sign me up for that class. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So was this your first time really watching it or what? I mean, uh, I feel like this was more or less a first time watch for you. It wasn't. I watched it like all the way through once Mm -hmm. and you had watched it a couple times before that where i was present (laughs) i was in the room but i wasn't paying attention i probably fell asleep um but no this wasn't the first time for me to actually watch it this is the first time i ever watched it and tried to take notes Mm -hmm. and pay attention to what was going on and i found out this is a movie that's almost impossible to take notes on right um cronenberg is the father of body horror he is also the father of the smash cut (laughs) Uh, because you'll be trying like look down at your phone because i do all my notes on my phone to try to make like okay jot down something real quick and you look up and it's like well how the fuck did they get there 
And I was trying to explain to him because he was like, oh my God. He's like, I, I feel like I missed something. I was like, no, you literally missed nothing. It's just a smash cut. Right. And when we had watched Naked Lunch, um, we'd found the same thing. It was like, oh my gosh, we're in one location this second. How did we get to this location? Like, And there's no bridge. There's no explanation telling you how you got from point A to point B. And so you start it. The viewer starts questioning their own what, you know, what did I just watch? You know, and it, I think that enhances the experience, if I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah. So am I going crazy? You are. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's how you feel. Like, I remember when we were watching Naked Lunch and you were like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm on drugs right now. And I was like, I know that is exactly how I'm feeling right now. Yes. Yeah, but Naked Lunch makes you, yeah, it makes you wonder if you just like ate a lot of peyote or something. <laughs> it's, that, that movie's Could you weird. imagine what it would be like if you were high? I That would be terrible, I would think. <laughs> I think that would almost be the definition of a bad trip. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> like, if you want to be scarred for the rest of your life, drop a bunch of acid and watch Naked Lunch. Yeah, so I, for the life of me, cannot recall my first watch on this. Okay. At all. Um, I, I know that I saw a lot of footage from it uh, in various lists and documentaries and stuff, thinking, wow, that looks fucked up. I got to watch that. So at some point I did, but I, I absolutely could not tell you when. Yeah. I don't remember my first watch. I, I just, I know that you'd seen it before. Um, and I think I just, I woke up when Debbie Harry was on screen and then I went back to sleep. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> She's insanely hot in this I'm, movie. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah. <laughs> there was something I kept, I kept thinking certain facial expressions she made or mannerisms. I kept thinking, I think Famka Jansen borrowed from her playbook <laughs> because those two had very similar beats in the way they acted. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say anything against anybody, but Debbie Harry's something else. <laughs> so in other words, he thought she was hot too. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, <laughs> it's okay. You can say it. I've talked about enough guys on this show. Yeah, you have. So, so Famke Jensen doesn't tickle the same places that <laughs> Debbie Harry does. No, I'm just saying there was something very similar about the way they perform. Oh, I I agree with that. So. I don't. There, well, there were a few a few scenes in here where I, I wondered if Debbie Harry was stoned while she was filming because she was very like she's kind of spacey, like she was kind of looking off into the middle distance. I don't know. Maybe that was intentional. I bet it was. But <laughs> I mean, it was hot either way. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't feel so bad saying it's, that. I was gonna say it's okay, like, honey. You're in a safe place. She's older than my mother, I think. <laughs> so I don't. You know. Oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> so speaking of Debbie Harry, <laughs> there are other people in this film. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but there were other people here. No. But really, though, this also stars James Woods as Max Wren. Now, he also has his name on a high school in Family Guy. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, are, are you doing your, uh, fuck, what's that guy? I don't know. What There's you're... someone on the wing. You're doing, the William Shatner. You're doing your William yeah, Shatner impression William again? <laughs> but Debbie Harry plays Nikki Brand. She's the love interest. Sonia Smits plays Bianca Oblivion. She's not in the movie a lot. No, no, no. A couple scenes. Peter Dvorsky plays Harlan. He is the, I guess you'd call him like a, like an engineer 
that works at the TV station that uh, that Max works at or is a partner in, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, Leslie Carlson plays Barry Convex, which he just happens to be the, I guess, the president or the CEO of Spectacular Optical. Mm-hmm. Interesting that his last name is Convex when they make glasses. Think that was intentional? Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Jack Creeley plays Brian Oblivion. Lynn Gorman plays Masha. I put it. I put her down as Marsha. Yeah, I was going to say you called her Marsha whenever we were talking about. I'm probably it. still going to call her Marsha. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She's a Brady. <laughs> sure, Jan. Uh, Julie Connor plays Brady. She's the secretary. She's in this a little bit. I guess she's a secretary. Is that what she is? His assistant. She an assistant? Yeah. Okay, and then that's pretty much it for the the main cast. I mean, there's quite a few people that are credited in this film, but most of them, they just kind of pass through. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, you spend most of your time with James Woods. Right. So anyway, I would say that cast wise, everybody did a great job. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't feel bad about any of the acting choices in here. No. How about no, you? No, everybody did great, but we're not talking about that right now. Well, what are you talking about then? <laughs> uh, let's talk about the story. Well, you start just with. go right ahead. <laughs> How did you feel about the story? Confused. Confused. Mostly confused. Mostly confused. (laughs) Um, With a smattering of arousal. Uh, (laughs) No, I feel like the story was good. I mean, like, I guess the quick synopsis is you got a TV exec that works for like like a public TV station, right? Civic. What was it? Civic. Civic TV, TV. I think. Yeah, or Civic Access or some, yeah. some shit like that. It's like a PBS sort of thing, like a public access television show. And he is constantly looking for the next extreme uh, thing, right? Like porn, mostly softcore porn. He actually meets with some people that have got some softcore porn. Yeah. And he's so like, well, it's not tough enough. I did. I ended up not taking notes. Uh, because I felt like there was just too much going on for me to do that. So I was like, I'll leave the note taking to you. But I did make one note, and that is at this beginning segment, because I just thought it was so funny that there's this woman who's about to, I guess, masturbate. And they were like, that's not quite pushing it enough. And I'm like, the hell you say? Like, <laughs> So she had her dildo wearing like a kabuki costume, <laughs> and she had to undress it before she... <laughs> Before and they don't show all it. of it, but they show enough that it's implied. It's uh, in my line of work considered veiny. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but I just a, thought that was funny that that wasn't pushing it enough for public. That TV. was not pushing it enough. <laughs> well, so in the video part that he was watching, they were only showing her from like just above the belly button up. So there were some boobs, and I'm guessing he wanted more than that. I don't. Right, they were I showing don't. Playboy, and he wanted Penthouse. Right, right, right. And. uh yeah, so he said it wasn't tough enough, so he had to pass on that. But then he goes back and he's got his engineer Harlan, I guess, using their satellite dish to pirate content mm-hmm. out there. And he runs across something called Videodrome and he, he kind of goes down that rabbit hole after he watches it. Right. Um, and then the rest of the film really is him trying to find radio uh, Videodrome. Well, it's it, it all turns into this very odd conspiracy theory type thing almost. And you spend 90% of the film, I would say, trying to figure out what's really happening and what's a hallucination. See, that's the part that I struggled with a little bit. So how much of the film can you trust? Yes. So, and, and that's... I think we've watched other films that were like that. Where you get to the films. End, you get to the end and you're like, so how much of this movie can I trust? Right. When did the hallucinations start? Right. right? I would so, say Naked Lunch is exactly like that. Yeah. So there's a point in, in Naked Lunch where you have an unreliable narrator. Yes. And I feel like this one, it gets introduced very quickly. Yes. So after he watches this 
what was it like a 53 second clip of videodrome of uh these two guys beating a woman right it's not sexual necessarily no um it would be considered like a, a smut film mm-hmm. whatever you call those mm-hmm. um it kind of made me think of those uh faces of death yeah videos yeah. and then he you know he meets debbie harry on uh, on this or nikki rather on this talk show and they interview her him and he starts hitting on her on live television and then they interview uh, professor brian oblivion but then the rest of the film right is his quest to find videodrome and then he gets recruited sort of by them which come to find out doctor or professor oblivion was not running them he was killed by them Mm-hmm. or by Videodrome. So then they want him to be sort of a, uh, an assassin. For yes. Them. Uh, the idea being that Spectacular Audio, run by Barry Convex, uh, wants Spectacular to... Vision or Opticals? Yeah, Spectacular. What did I say? <laughs> Audio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not listening to anything. Yeah, we're no, no, watching, we're man. To... <laughs> I wasn't listening to the film, so... <laughs> So Spectacular Optical, uh, Barry Convex, has recruited him, basically, through Videodrome to be an assassin. Because this is where, I guess, he, uh, uh, he being Cronenberg, is talking about censorship. Yes, I, I believe so. So they want him to assassinate the people that are really in charge of his television show because they are responsible for corrupting people, I yes. guess. And so they want to play Videodrome. And so then Videodrome causes a brain tumor and it will kill everyone who watches it. Yes. And their their thought process is that only people who are a little sick and a little twisted and need to go away anyway will watch it to begin with. And so it's sort of like a, a cleansing mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, of course, so the then, first time I watched Hellraiser, I'd be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so then, but at some point, he he's supposed to go kill Bianca Oblivion, Oblivion's daughter, finds out that Oblivion has been dead for like 11 months. So even on the television interview, that wasn't really him. That was a pre-recorded mm-hmm. tape. And then she gives him sort of an antidote through his stomach vagina that... <laughs> turns him back against spectacular optical and he goes and kills Barry Convex and then kills himself. Yes. Now, there's a ton of body horror mixed in here. Yes. I have a theory though that everything after the initial viewing with Harlan like 10 minutes into the film, everything after that was a hallucination. I wondered that myself. I mean, it uh, it again, it's hard to determine what's real and what's not. This is a very very Kafka-esque film. I mean, there's there's shit that you're looking at where you're just like you you in, you are in complete disbelief of what you're actually seeing. Right. And and what you're watching on screen, you can't trust that that's what's really happening mm-hmm. in the film. I, it just I don't know. I don't necessarily have a problem with movies like that, but you get to the end um, where he shoots himself. But he before he shoots himself, he watches him shoot himself yes. on television. So did it happen or didn't it? The shitty part is, is that he says, long live the new flesh. It's implied that he pulls the trigger and then roll credits. So you don't know. Well, I believe, I mean, if you're going in by what is being explained to you, him killing himself is supposed to make him ascend to a higher state of consciousness. Yeah, he's supposed to join uh, Debbie Harry, supposed to join Nikki to help fight Videodrome. Yes. But was she even real? Because he didn't meet her until after he'd watched the video the first time. So was she ever real? Right. They explained that they kind of used her image in order to basically seduce him into this world. She was sort of of a Venus flytrap. She drew him in and trapped him there. So they're using her to manipulate him so and at the end is that still what's going on right yeah so right. i under i understand where you're what so, you're saying uh, 
Anyway, so as far as the story goes. <laughs> His head's going to explode. <laughs> it's like scanners. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. no, it's not. <laughs> but as far as the story goes, I feel like it's a good story. I feel like he has a lot to say, and I'm sure we didn't capture all of it. There was probably more of a message in there than we... Well, we uh, were talking about that. It's like, a multifaceted story. <laughs> that I feel like everybody... Everybody can take away their own message from it. So some uh, some reviews that we watched, there were people saying, well, you know, I think Cronenberg was commentating on the rotting of the mind through media. And I don't necessarily feel that way. I feel like it's a big kind of argument against censorship, in my opinion. And I could be wrong about that, too. That that was just my takeaway from it. So some of the stuff that we watched where people were offering their take on it, they were putting a modern spin on it, right? And trying to say, well, he was trying to say this. But those things didn't happen until way after this film was made. You got to remember, this film was made in, the 80, in 83, mm-hmm. right? And that's when the video nasties thing came out right so it probably is strictly about censorship because that's exactly what they were trying to do right but at the same time in the 80s is when they started kind of pushing boundaries on what they could show on network television Mm -hmm. um what you could say what women could wear and because i mean i I think even you will admit what you see uh women wearing even in kids live action tv not cartoons well for that matter even in cartoons way different from what we got oh yeah 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 absolutely Uh, and so i mean I guess you, if you look at Max's quest for the ever-increasing thrill, it's got a more extreme and more extreme. And you went from television where you weren't allowed to say any 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 profanity at all when I was a kid on television, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Just was not allowed to David Caruso's ass in NYPD. <laughs> yeah, using in, the word shit for the first time. In like 10 years. Yeah, now you can go on FX channel and see people fucking. Right. And using the F word every other word. And it's like, holy shit, when did this happen? I just blinked. And the sex scenes that they show on television now would have been considered pornography in 83. Right. But but the flip side of that is I feel like as a species, we have been trying to push the boundaries since the beginning. You know, you, you go back and look at something like the Coliseum fights or the Grand Guignol where people were watching murders happen on stage, not real murders, mind you, but it's always been in us to watch, to want to see that taboo thing. And so I feel like in some form or fashion, we have been actively pursuing that. Right, right. No, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you there. I'm just saying that some of the reviews and stuff that we were looking at, um, they were looking at it through a very modern lens. As opposed, but some of those people probably weren't alive in the 80s like we were mm-hmm. um, and don't understand how it was then. So his the take on it, I think, was almost purely the the drive for ever-increasing uh, sort of extremism, what would have been considered extremism at the time in mm-hmm. media, and the rise of censorship because it really was just coming into fashion uh, there in the early 80s. Right. So as a matter of fact, that's when metal went on trial, right? Yeah. Was some, in the 80s. Some, yeah. So, and D. Snyder represented, so <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but uh you know he was talking about reality they, one of the ones that had mentioned reality tv reality tv wasn't a thing in the 80s right so i can see where people might have thought in the 80s that the popular media at the time may have been changing reality for people you know bending reality for people i can kind of see where they might take that but i don't know i really think that this was this was a a, a blatant swing at censorship i yeah i absolutely agree but there's also politics at play here too in that in censorship um 
And I almost feel like there's religious undertones in this too. Um, I feel like there's interpersonal relationship dynamics also at play. There's like, like Travis said, it's very multifaceted. Like um, you, you talk, take something like um, just the relationship between Max and what's her name? Nikki. Nikki, sorry. And her wanting to push the boundaries sexually in their relationship. And he's kind of being prudish about it a little bit like, no, I don't want to do that. And um, again, a reviewer we watched was kind of talking about how she was kind of fucked up. And I was joking, you know, about, hey, don't, <laughs> don't judge, you know, you shouldn't judge somebody for what their kinks are. And I am a hundred percent believer in that. But that's, that's a thing going back into censorship, like for every person that's like, I want to push things a little bit further, this, you know, excites or titillates me or whatever. There's always going to be the other person that's going, hey, no, I'm not into that kinky business, you know, and it's in all avenues of life. And I would say, sadly, at this point, myself included, we have gotten to a state where we are pretty jaded with what we listen to and what we watch and consume that I don't know that anything could shock us anymore. It... It's got to be something incredibly violent in real life for people to get shocked. I don't think people really get shocked by what they see through the media anymore. Yeah. It's I mean, the shit that happens in real life. Once you're seeing people get beheaded on the news, I mean, the, all bets are off. Yeah. The thing is, is that people don't, they only react. Somebody else we watched had brought this up and I agreed with the point. So people are shocked and offended by violence that happens in a place where violence shouldn't happen, but they will blindly accept violence happening in a, happening in a place where it happens all the time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I will I will tell you that just from where I the places where I work sometimes that's absolutely true, right? It, people are appalled by uh, bad things happening in public spaces that are supposed to be safe, but in some of these neighborhoods where violence is kind of a way of life, they turn a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if they're going to get offended by something. They should be offended by the fact that violence is normal there. Right. Um, I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be shocked by violence happening in places where it shouldn't happen or where you don't expect it to happen. But they should be just as offended by violence happening in everyday places. Right. Yeah. Where it, it's like there's still people there that have to live through that all mm-hmm. the time. Why aren't you getting upset about that? That's just that's their life. You shouldn't just accept that because you say, well, that's what happens there. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but I mean, as it relates to the film... Yeah, I mean, once I guess maybe that was the thing is that people had begun to sort of accept violence in the media, mm-hmm. and that's the reason that sort of thing was growing, and the 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 uh, spectacular optical was trying to stop that, right, or take out the people who felt that way. Well, see, that's where I feel like the religious undertones come in there too. That well, if you look at it again, back in the early '80s, um, was it Billy Graham? that had that uh there was some popular televangelist that was like leading a crusade against uh music music that he considered objectionable and mm-hmm. movies and tv and all that stuff so you know the the angry mob of karens that go to picket silent night deadly night for coming out you know correct but basically we don't feel right about this particular thing that is going on so we're gonna all band together enforce our agenda and make it go away we, I would say that a film like Videodrome 
is still relevant today in that regard. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree. It's it's uh, he was calling out cancel culture before that was a thing. We don't sort like of. it. We don't like it, so we have to kill it. Sort of. I mean, not all cancel cultures bad. I'm not saying it's all bad. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's all bad. Do I think it's gone too far? Yes, but I think that it does stem for a place from a place where we absolutely need to be called out on our shit. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's the same idea because mm-hmm. back then you had those people that like, well, I don't agree with what they're doing, so we're going to protest and write our congressman. But they do the same thing now. They just do it through social media. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very fucked up time we're living in right now. Like we, God damn it, we're getting political How did again this turn for into the that second show? week in a row. We're supposed to be talking about <laughs> movie. But we are once again just completely divided as a nation and both sides think that they're right when in fact both sides can be absolutely wrong. Travis and I tend to lie somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, that again, I I really think that this is a film that has something to say now, you know, even even 30 years later, yeah. 40 years later, whatever, but yeah, definitely. So, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Good story. Now, now can we talk about the acting? Good story. Yes, we can talk about the acting. Well, I already now. talked I already said mine, so you can say yours now too. <laughs> um, I don't same thing. I don't recall any bad performances. I feel like the people that you that were our antagonists or supposed to be our antagonists, you weren't sure about that. Everybody was really good about playing both sides where you didn't know if they were on the side of good or on the side of bad. You couldn't be convinced whose side you were supposed to be on. So I thought that the actor's performances lent very well to that. One thing that I like is that there was no no actor or actress in this film had a performance that said, I'm the good guy. Because yes. there were no good guys in this film. I mean, even James Wood, Woods himself, to he, a degree. He was not. He was supposed to be the hero protagonist, but mm-hmm. he wasn't a good guy. Right. And he never seems like tried to play it off that he was a good guy. Um, although I would say that with him, he's the only person that we really got any drama out of mm-hmm. acting wise. Um, Debbie Harry was very understated. Really, yeah, I would say a lot of people played it really monotone and under, uh, understated. Bianca Oblivion, uh, Professor Oblivion's daughter, her performance was very understated. Even when uh, Max showed up to kill her, she was very calm about it. Yeah. I feel like the actor that played Brian Oblivion or Professor Oblivion, his his performance was, it was good. Um, I, I, He almost came across as a cult leader mm-hmm. in the videos, mm-hmm. which I, I feel like was that. kind of appropriate. Yeah. Um, it still was very calm and fairly understated, but sort of charismatic, I guess. Um, in the way he was t- trying to make his point. I'm not saying that I suddenly believed it, but I'm, you know. Right. Um, almost in a crooked televangelist kind of way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like his was good. But yeah, as far as like emotion, the only person you really get anything from is James Woods. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't feel like Deborah Harry gets praise enough for her performance. I know you just said that you felt like she was understated, and she was. She didn't really have any over-the-top moments or really emote that much. But at the same time, speaking of charisma, you can absolutely understand why he would be drawn to her. She is very 
alluring and very the the way she entices him without really having to do much. I I feel like her performance mirrored her personality in the in the film, right? So at one point she asks him to cut her with his knife mm-hmm. while they're having sex. Uh, he doesn't, but when they are actually having sex, he's piercing her ears with a fairly large straight pin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, it looks like it's probably a post-coital scene or whatever. She burns herself on the chest with a cigarette. So her understated performance to me sort of reflects someone who finds normal life dull. Like it takes something extreme for her to feel anything. Right. And I feel like she pulled that off. Yes. So while, yes, it is understated, I don't feel like it was bad. I feel like her performance represented the personality of the character she was playing. Right. And I don't know, it's somebody who kind of tends to lean her way personality-wise. I really understood who she was, I guess. And and then before anybody starts to write letters and are concerned about me, I'm not saying I'm going to go to some underground snuff film to be smacked around, but uh, <laughs> I can understand that desire or want. Maybe... That's why I like films like Hellraiser. You can understand what that person is trying to obtain a little bit. Yeah. I, and now Travis is rethinking now I'm a little our worried. marriage. <laughs> I don't know how you hid that from me for 20 years. But no. But yeah, so I think we both agree that the acting was appropriate. I was going to say serviceable, but it was better than serviceable. I feel like it was accurate to the characters they were portraying. Yes. Um, probably nothing Oscar worthy in here um later when he did eastern promises that's when he was going for those but uh in this film i feel like it was it was good it was a, it was it was fine it's probably okay i think it's better than that but you know different strokes for different folks <laughs> but we can move on to something that i think we'll both agree was above average and that's the special effects hell yeah so who did the special effects on this film? Uh, I don't think Rick Baker really needs any introduction if you're listening to he this did show. He did because I could not remember his name. Seriously? I couldn't remember his name. Oh my gosh. So... What else did he do? He Well, for starters, he did American Werewolf in London. So... Ah, one of the best werewolf transformation scenes ever. Yes. Yes. Among a bevy of other things. But I don't know that I can necessarily single out an effect that I thought was better than the other. I thought that this was just an extreme showcase. And I don't think there's one thing that stands out. It was all brilliant. Like, all of it was fucking amazing. Because I could say, I really loved this effect in particular. But then I can turn around and go, oh, but this one was really fucking good too. And it makes it so hard to choose, you know, because for every big grand effect that they have, there's also a subtle one that's just as amazing. So it's hard to pick that out. But I, I guess for the sake of the show, let's toss some around. What did, what were some that stood out to you? Ooh, stuff that stood out to me. So I really liked... Uh, towards the beginning of the film, when uh, he's watching TV and the TV, Debbie Harry pops up on the TV uh-huh. for the very first time. And mm-hmm. the TV, like, I guess the fake leather. It, God damn it. That's the one I was going to pick out. <laughs> if anybody is old enough that listens to this to remember the old, like, Zenith console TVs, where it was like a television tube, but it was built into sort of a wooden cabinet. And they were heavy as shit. You had no remote. You had to get up and it had knobs turn on the it. knob. <laughs> yeah. Like the radio in your, well, uh, they don't even have them on radios and cars anymore but before you had the clicker <laughs> yeah yeah so the remote was whoever the youngest child in the house was exactly so 
Yeah, that could the the youngest one that could read numbers anyway. Because <laughs> uh, I remember my dad being like, "Put it on channel four and I'd have to like crawl over there because you can't you you need to change the channel, but don't block the TV. Right. Yeah. Um. So you kind of like army crawl over the TV <laughs> and reach up and turn the knob to channel four. <laughs> so it was one of those, but it like she's she's sounds like she's having an orgasm almost, but there's a lot of heavy breathing going on, and then the TV starts to sort of undulate mm-hmm. sexually. Mm-hmm. Um. But like. I I guess it has a leather top on it. First time TV really made you that excited apart from porn, huh? It's so veiny. <laughs> but then when you cut, when you kind of back off from it, you can see it's just her mouth, just really her lips mm-hmm. uh, that you can see on screen now. And James Wood sticks his head into the TV screen. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that whole sequence. I really did too. The, the TV kind of made me a little hot. <laughs> Well, that was that was actually going to be the one that I picked as my standout too because I I still to this day I don't know how that is accomplished. I don't don't know how they do that, and that is an effect that has carried on hell even into fuck. What's that last one we saw? I don't know. Sexy, sexy intestines. (laughs) Sexy intestines. You know, Kristen Stewart was digging around in that guy's stomach like, oh yeah. What the fuck was it called? We went to movies to see it and you weren't impressed. You got up to get popcorn. Oh, um, it, yeah. The, the Brandon Cronenberg, right? Huh? Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future. That's it. Yeah. Was it Brandon or was it David? That was David. That was David. That yeah. those that same effect is used in that film. They had these weird little box things that would do that. Um, thinking again about Naked Lunch with the, I'm going to use your word, undulating typewriter. You know, that that's the thing that got done and he was like, that's cool. I'm going to put that in every fucking movie I do. And for good reason, it looks fucking amazing. I Again, I don't know how that's accomplished, if that's stop motion or what but it just looks so fucking cool yeah i agree i don't know how they did it but it looked really good the other effect that got my attention really on the first watch was the stomach vagina okay because the first time i saw that i was like god damn <laughs> see and i would say uh the gun the gun hand is really fucked up looking so Okay, so for me, the gun hand didn't do it as much. But I think that's because I saw Tetsuo the Iron Man before I saw this. I saw this first. So once you've seen Tetsuo the Iron Man, pieces of metal uh, becoming part of the human anatomy no longer shock you. You talk about a movie that'll make you fucking jaded. That's the one. (laughs) And uh, the Bullet Man, Tetsuo the Bullet Man is not any better. Yeah, I would say the Iron Man's worse, though. The Iron Man is absolutely worse. Yeah, or, oh, fuck, what is that Takashi Miike movie? Uh, Pick one. (laughs) Any any movie Um, that he's ever made. Ichi the Killer. That's another one. From a, okay, I'm I'm not going to retract the statement that Cronenberg is the, the godfather of body horror. Um, but whoever made Tetsuo the Iron Man must be like the great uncle of body horror because <laughs> they fucking nailed well, it. Well, I think that's considered cyberpunk horror. It's okay. It's body horror to me. It is. It is still body horror. At but. any rate, I think that's the reason the gun scene, it was well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up Guns Akimbo. I did. We were watching it. Yeah. Uh, it, it it was well done, but it didn't shock me. And I think that's just because I'd seen the other movie first. Oh, no, no. I wasn't saying I was shocked. I was saying that I thought it was well done. Yeah. Like, it, it's very disgusting looking. Um, and then I, I guess the grand masterpiece would obviously be where he takes out the head of 
whatever grand optical or spectacular yeah, optical yeah. where he shoots him with his handgun. Uh-huh. Oh, I see uh-huh. what you did there. Um, and he just explodes into all these tumors. That is probably the peace day resistance of yeah. the film, I would say. Yeah. Now, there is something very naked lunch about that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know which one came first, though. Uh, Was I think naked this lunch one. first? Or no, this no, one? no. This one. I think naked lunch came out in the 90s. But, uh... but yeah, it was good. That one was good. The kill when he killed the head of spectacular optical, uh, the tumor scene was good. But yeah. yeah, I don't. There was just something about it when James Wood stuck a gun inside his stomach vagina <laughs> that I was just like, "What the fucking fuck is that?" Well. <laughs> It's very weird. You you feel like this this film almost takes a voyeuristic turn with you, right? Because he's just sitting there watching TV and everybody has been in this position before where you get an itch somewhere and you're just like, oh, get that itch or whatever. And but he he takes it up by he starts scratching with his gun. <laughs> yeah, he's he's sitting there and you think like he's just getting his Al Bundy on. <laughs> And then that happens, and you're like, I was not prepared for this. Well, I think that was the first thing that got me. I was like, why is he scratching with his gun? (laughs) Well, because it was in his hand. (laughs) I don't know. It just felt very weird. And when he's sitting there, like, kind of, I don't know, fingering himself. (laughs) Yeah. Then you're sitting there and you feel like you're watching something you're not supposed to be watching. <laughs> and maybe it's because it is so vaginal looking, perhaps. Well, it's, I mean, because, I mean, <laughs> on the first watch, you're like, is he masturbating? <laughs> Am I watching him masturbate right now? Yeah, but if you're going to take your hand out of your, quote, vagina, and it looks like that afterward, I think you might want to see a gynecologist just saying. (laughs) Well, no, because in this scene, he pulled his hand out and he had lost his dildo (laughs) because the gun was still in there. (laughs) But Now you got to go see a doctor. (laughs) But... There's also the scenes where you almost feel like, and I'm sorry if, if this is going to cause a trigger or anything, um, you almost feel like he's getting violated at points, too, with the force of the VHSs in his stomach. So I would agree with that. The scene where uh, the head of Con- Barry Convex uh, is recruiting him to work for them, and he just walks up and jams that uh, video cassette, the, the pulsating video cassette in his stomach feels very invasive. Yes. Um, yeah. So you could also liken that to, uh, I'm going to sound like a horrible, horrible person here, but watching certain types of films or listening to certain types of music around somebody who's not accustomed to that type of thing, then you almost feel like you're forcing it on them and maybe warping their mind forever. In my case, probably making my children watch horror films. <laughs> but you could see that, right? Where, you know, you're kind Kind of putting, <coughs> excuse me, you're kind of putting something on somebody that maybe they've never experienced before and are therefore altered forever. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like their their chemicals will never be the same again for having this like thing. Like you've twisted their worldview? Yes. Yeah, but what if it's for the better? I 
mean, obviously. I mean, everybody. It's all has about to, new experiences. Everybody has to listen to Deftones for the first time, uh, right? And be forever changed in a positive way. I but, uh, but no, I just yeah. There, like I said, there's there's a lot in here that feels very voyeuristic, and like I shouldn't be seeing this, or you know. Yeah, yeah. There's parts of it where it feels like you're watching a private moment. Yeah. You know, like you're looking through a keyhole. Yeah. Or something, and it it feels there's parts of this movie that feel wrong. Like, yeah. I shouldn't be watching this. So it it would be the same thing with another Cronenberg film called Crash. He his films are very confronta- confrontational, and maybe not necessarily in just what you're seeing, but what you're hearing. It like it, it's hard to explain. It's almost Clockwork Orange like like he's gonna put these things in there to hold your eyeballs open and make you. <laughs> watch it <laughs> yes and like, again forever be altered like you're going to see this you yes. are going to watch this i'm and gonna make you see and it. he makes you sit through very uncomfortable things and make you listen to very uh i don't know it makes you listen to things that you would never have thought of or have never heard it's just again it's it's super hard to explain i don't know that i am articulate enough to get the point across but I think you guys understand what I mean. I think mean. they've got it well enough for us to move on to the music. <laughs> was there music in this yes, movie? Yes, there was. And Howard you- Shore, who scored The Fly, did the score for this one again. And I will say that I don't feel like the score on this one was nearly as well done as the score in The Fly was. That, oh man, I, I know we've talked about it when we were covering The Fly, but that, that's a score to almost end all, you know? It's it's so good and so emotional and so raw almost. And so I felt like what was done in this one just simply paled in comparison. Yeah, I it didn't even stand out enough for me to be able to say, oh yeah, there was music in this right. movie. See, I, that's me. It I, was very much part of the background. I was so invested on what I was seeing that I didn't necessarily hear. But having said that, I don't know that that's fair to the score. Right. Because Cronenberg was like, look at my dick. <laughs> and so you can't look away. And I, yeah, I agree with you. What's happening on screen may have been like, pulled you in you're so involved in what you're seeing that you don't really think about what you're hearing at the same time right yeah uh, I'm, I, I don't i think that's a thing right hasn't that been like a, sort of a sensory overload sort of thing like if you can overwhelm one sense enough if you give one sense enough stimulation the other ones are just kind of there oh shit i'm starting to wonder if that was intentional like because you the, know what I mean? they did talk about that in the film, too, about sensory overload and overstimulation. Right. So. I mean, they were talking about people being jaded. But again, some <coughs> of the some of the stuff that you're seeing on screen, the score behind it could have been very good. But you're so invested on what's happening, mm-hmm. what you're seeing, that you forget about what you're hearing. Right. It would take me having to rewatch it again and just listen. Yeah. Like the Upside Down show. You just close your eyes <laughs> and then listen. Nobody's going to get that Sounds really inappropriate. <laughs> so go on YouTube, look up the no. Upside Down show, and watch it with your eyes closed, and you're going to be like, God damn, that's a kid's show? Doesn't sound like a kid's show. It's uh, oh, one of the benefits to having kids is hearing kids' shows from the other room, and you're like, what the fuck are they doing in there? <laughs> oh, my God. So we have made it to the loved and hated 
segment. Have we, or have we made it to favorite line, oh, favorite kill? Favorite. You know, you need to update the list. Cause uh, I, we say that every fucking week and like it never Ron, happens. I am Ron fucking Burgundy. I'm going to read whatever is on that teleprompter. I know. Go I know. fuck yourself, San Diego. I know. You've also made that joke already. <laughs> Your memory's for shit. It really is. <laughs> no, but this is, um, again, I, I stated this last week. This is the last month of the season. So I will re- be redoing the board and we will be redoing all kinds of other stuff. So never you fear my pet. Okay. So favorite quote, favorite kill, favorite scene. Uh, Favorite kill. So here's the funny thing about favorite kill. There's only four. Mm-hmm. If you count James Woods killing himself at the end. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to go with Barry Convex mm-hmm. that explodes into tumors. Uh, and that's the crazy thing is that this is a horror movie, but only four people die in the whole film. And three of them just get shot. Well, actually, no, that's wrong. All four of them get shot. Mm-mm-mm. Because I'm not going to pick the same kill as you because I feel like I do that every week. And since you took the one I was going to pick, I will go with Oh, what's the guy who, you know, his, the guy you think is his friend, the guy who works with him, the one who stumbles across Signal in the first Harlan. place. Harlan. Harlan, yes. I'm going to go with his just because he goes in to put another videotape. And this one, instead of being black, it, this one is more fleshy colored. Um, he goes to to put a new tape in him. But when he pulls his hand out, it well, he doesn't have a hand. Right. It's like... It's a German stick grenade is what it is. Yeah. That part looked so fucked up. Like, there's a scene where he's kind of backing away slowly and a woman inside the station starts screaming. And I thought, yeah, that's fair. That would be my reaction, right. too. It looked really gross. And then, yeah, the guy blows up, which is also pretty cool. Okay. And then I loved it also because... It blows the, the wall out of the building that they're in. And there's a mother and her daughter walking by and they're completely unfazed by this big acme hole <laughs> building. Right. And she's just like, don't go over there. And keeps walking very calmly. But uh, so I will pick that one. I thought that was cool. Okay. So as far as quotes go, I have two. Okay. Because I took notes. Um, at the In the beginning, when Harlan's trying to track down where the signal's coming from, and initially they think it's coming from somewhere in Malaysia. And then he comes back and he was like, tells him, actually, the signal is coming from Pittsburgh. That's in the USA. <laughs> yeah, you did get like, a giggle with that. Like Harlan felt like he needed to add, <laughs> Pittsburgh's in the USA. I was like, I'm glad you told him that. He would have never figured it out. Uh, that's like, one- that's, hold on, two seconds, two seconds. There's another line that's similar to that where uh, Professor, whatever, Oblivion, he's like talking about, and it all happened in, in my head, this head, this head right here. <laughs> As opposed to the other one. Yeah, and that's what I thought too. So Sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, there's during one of his Oblivion's monologues, uh, he makes the statement, television is reality. And then he says, nothing is real outside of our perception of reality. So I didn't think that was funny. I felt like that was way more correct than it had any right to be, especially now with social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really accurate. Yeah. Uh, nothing is real outside of our perception of reality. Because, I mean, let's face it, people look at social media, they see TikToks, they see all the toxic ass content on there and they think that's what I'm supposed to look like. That's how much money I'm supposed to have. That's that's supposed to be me. Mm-hmm. And it sort of becomes their reality. Right. So because that's how they perceive it for someone else. That's yeah. how someone else puts it out there. This is how I want people to perceive me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's prophetic. Yeah. Good job, David. 
Good, good job. Yeah, when in reality you're sitting on the couch eating chips and watching YouTube. I know. <laughs> Gold star for Mr. Cronenberg. How about you? Uh, well, I already, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you as many times as I did, but uh, I already named my kill, which Name was your quote. Harlan's. So my quote is going to be the one of the film, uh, Death to the Videodrome, Long Live the New Flesh. This, there's just something really cool about that line and really twisted and scary even. So speaking of that line, my favorite scene is actually the last scene of the film because it is so surreal and fucked up and sad at the same time and just kind of like when it ended I remember you were like that's it (laughs) you know and so it kind of leaves you on this note of what did I just watch you know and I love getting that feeling from a film um I don't know there's something that makes it more terrifying I don't know I don't I don't know but yeah I love that scene where it's him going him inside the TV screen, walking up to the fire, kneeling down, saying the line, shooting himself in the head. And then you cut to him, quote, real him, turning around and doing the same thing. And right. then that, that overwhelming feeling of where do we go from here? Right. So that, that's what I'm going to name for my favorite scene. I think my favorite scene is when she puts the cigarette out on herself. Of course it is. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no nudity in that. I know. You're just like, that's but it, hot. <laughs> but it is Debbie Harry in lingerie. <laughs> No, it's the look on James Wood's face when she does it. Because at first he's kind of horrified, mm-hmm. and then he sort of accepted, accepts what just happened. But you can kind of see on his face that I'm in over my head with her. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that, like huh? Like she's the... <laughs> She's the real deal and I'm just a tourist. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, I mean, her performance is, is great there, but it's James Woods that sells that scene. Mm-hmm. So that's it for me. Okay, now we can move on to Loved and Hated. Okay, you go first. <laughs> me go first. Because I got to think about it. <laughs> Um, I, I think we've we've pretty well talked about everything that we've loved about it. But just to reiterate, I I love that no matter who's watching the film, you can take away something different from it. I love what I took away from it. Um, I feel like the, the way I see it is Cronenberg's giving the finger to all censorship. Fuck you. This is what I'm doing. I'm opening people's minds to a new, quote, reality. So I love that about it. Do you think maybe he was trying to portray himself as Videodrome? Like he's Videodrome and the sensors are spectacular optical that are trying to stop him? I don't know. Maybe. maybe I thought was Videodrome the... was spectacular opticals. Well, they, they were, but their mission was to stop it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he was the hero protagonist all along. <laughs> Um, so I, I love the story. I think it's a, it's a great story. Like I said, I still feel like it's relevant today. Um, special effects, it, it, they're an absolute, in my opinion, tour de force. Um, I don't think that this film should be on cult status. I think it needs more recognition. I think it needs more praise. I think more people should see it. I mean, I, I understand that it is rated highly, but I still feel like it's an underground film that does not quite get the recognition recognition it deserves um so special effects top notch and deborah harry i absolutely adore her in this film this is when she actively became my girlfriend and doesn't know it so (laughs) absolutely absolutely love her performance so hated uh i don't think there's anything i hate about it you know i I know that you feel like you would have liked some more closure with it but 
I like how it ended. Like I said, I yeah. So I okay. guess you. Okay. Loved. What did I love about Debbie Harry? I mean, video <laughs> drama. <laughs> so I don't know. There was a lot to like about this film. You you touched on the special effects. I feel like they were. The special effects were, were great. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're watching it through today's lens, you're going to be like, well, it looks fake. Yeah, but it I don't feel like it does. didn't in 83, and it's still moist enough to be really gross. So The only effect that I, I could find that stuck out a little was when he had his arm or hand in his stomach. Yeah. The, one arm did look different from the other. Yeah, but I don't feel like any of that's deal breaker. I feel like the special no. effects were still great. I yes. feel like the acting, uh, specifically from James Woods was good like you kind of get to you go along with him on sort of his descent uh into madness Mm -hmm. uh throughout the the film and i feel like that's good he pulled it off i think he may be an an underrated actor personal beliefs aside yes i agree what do you mean personal beliefs his personal beliefs oh did he do a bad thing it's not that he necessarily did one bad thing it's just Okay, well, I don't know about any. Beliefs. I don't know about any of no, that. No, he does not, and it's fine. So I think he did. <laughs> I think he did a good job. I think he's a good actor. Um, I liked the lighting in this film, and that may be a weird thing for me to bring up. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not looking at you. So I like, <laughs> you know, when he's in the he's in the office, it's really bright, but they mm-hmm. put it like a blue filter on every time they were in his apartment, mm-hmm. and I felt like that was good. And then every time he, I guess, in his head or in reality or in whatever, went to that, the Videodrome place, it was always red. Yes. That was something we didn't touch on was the cinematography. They had a color palette for everything. And so it makes me wonder, like, how much was the color palette tied into the story? Does the color palette tell me when he's hallucinating? Does it tell me what's real and what's not? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'd have to watch it a few more times to figure it out. I feel like there's probably more to the film to figure out. I agree. Um, also loved. What else did I love? I think it just about covered it. I think the story's good. I, but it, I, just, yeah, there's more to explore there. Um, kind of come to that, I would recommend this movie to anyone that hasn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for any political r- reason or whatever. I just feel like it's worth a watch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're because just a... this is like a Lynch film. I feel like it's going to say something different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I think his feelings on censorship and... Um, I don't know how to word this. You know, what does each individual person consider normal or acceptable to themselves? What do you consider extreme versus what do I consider extreme? Mm-hmm. I feel like that message is still relevant and the impact of the media on your day-to-day life, I feel like is more relevant probably now than it was in 1983. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend this movie to anyone. As far as hated, I don't have anything that I hated. Um, I would say that it's kind of like, and I've, I've made this comparison before. I really don't like the ending to the Dark Tower, Stephen King's book. I really don't like the ending. I accept the ending. It's the right ending, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He he wrote the ending that needed to happen for that book, and I totally respect Mr. King for that, but I don't like the ending, and it's <laughs> kind of the same thing as this. It's the right ending. It leaves you in the right place, in the right frame of mind for the mindfuck of a movie that you just watched. Mm-hmm. So it's the appropriate ending. I just don't like it. (laughs) Um, So if anything, that would be it. The problem is, is that if you offer too much explanation after the fact, it's going to ruin it. Right. Yes. And that's, and that's what I'm, and that's what I'm saying. I, you know, I'd like that explanation, but the explanation would ruin the film so I can accept it the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, This is yet another Canadian film that we really like. Yes. Maybe we'll get our Canadian listeners back. (laughs) I know they all left. (laughs) But you know what? It's winter up there. (laughs) 
Maybe they don't have Wi-Fi right now. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, Mary, Fuck, or Kill, 1983's Videodrome. Oh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I always go first. I'll fuck it. Okay. I won't kill this one. Like, this one could be a regular booty call, I think. Okay. For Deborah Harry alone, right? Yes. <laughs> Debbie Harry could be a booty call. <laughs> no, I mean, this is one that it's... You can watch it and and then watch it again and get kind of something different out of it, I think. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's enough going on in the background. For instance, in the very beginning of the movie, he's in the hallway and he steals something off the housekeeper's cart. And it just bugs the shit of me. I don't know what he stole. Mm-hmm. Right? It's almost like a National Lampoon movie or like the... Um, uh, that'll movie airplane mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, naked gun where there's shit happening in the background and on right. the first watch, you're not going to get it all. And so I feel like this movie has rewatch value simply because of that. I think there's stuff going on in the background that you don't know. Every time you watch it, you're going to see more mm-hmm. of it. So um, you'd watch it again. I'd watch it again. Cool. I would watch it again. I'll fuck it. <laughs> How about you? Uh, this is going to be a fuck it for me also. Uh, and the reason that I don't pick Mary, and I know I give Mary's out pretty freely. You do. You're uh, a polygamist. <laughs> uh, is because I purposely put space between viewings on every Cronenberg film because I want to continue to like them. Um, like Travis was just saying, I feel like... And and I'll elaborate on it. I feel like if I leave time between viewings and grow a little bit, mature a little bit, when I pick up stuff again later, I feel like it's easier to do that when I have put some space between it. You know, um, I can watch a movie and then 10 years later come back to it and go, holy shit, I didn't think about it like that before and take something else away completely different than the time before. And so for that purpose, I like to give myself some time to marinate on it and and come back to it later and i feel like you have to watch it at different times and that may sound weird right but it depends on where your head's at when you watch it as to what you pick up yes yes i agree so like you could watch it late at night when you're kind of tired and you'll get one thing out of it if you're off that day and you watch it in the morning you might get something different if you watch it right after lunch when you're kind of sleepy yeah oh you meant literally (laughs) i meant like times as in like phases of your life well no i mean there's that too but i i'm just saying that depending on what your <laughs> what your mental state is at the time you may get something different out of this movie you may see something that you didn't see the last time right uh, and i like films like that yeah i, like I do them too. Where there's a little there's a little shit that pops up every so time you're growing you watch it. as a person no I am not. Yeah, because I remember at the beginning of this show, you were all like, oh, I don't want to think about shit. I want to be entertained. I want to laugh. I'm a giggly bitch. Yeah, well, I'm still <laughs> a giggly bitch, but <laughs> I like movies where you can get something different out of it every time you watch it. Yeah. Because let's face it, as much as I like movies that make me laugh, the same joke's only going to make you laugh so right, many times. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Until it's like, put it up, we've seen it. Yeah. And yeah, but movies that have little Easter eggs <coughs> scattered through the background, those readers stick with because you can find something a little bit new every time you watch it. Yeah. So it's not it's not one that I keep in regular rotation. Like it's it's not ever gonna be one of those films, you know, pick any nightmare on Elm Street film. Like I can put this on while I'm doing my laundry, you know, and have it running as background noise while I'm doing the dishes or whatever. Um this is one I want to be fully invested in, have all of my senses on, you know, fired up while I'm watching it. This is a film that 
this is going to sound crazy coming from me. Uh, there is a certain amount of mental fatigue to watching this film because you really have to get invested. You've got to actually watch. Uh, this This is not one of those you can kind of half-ass be in and out of it, I don't think. In order to have a successful sex session, you have to really pay attention to your partner's wants and needs. And if you can do that and invest the time, Damn it's it. better for the both of That's you. That's what Cronenberg was trying to say the whole time. <laughs> He was talking. He was talking about foreplay. That's what it was. And, and on that note, uh, you want to go grab the straight pins and head off to the bedroom. Let's go. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's not. Um, probably not. She's not. Um. <laughs> so next week we will be handing out our next Easter egg, and I did not discuss it with Travis first, but I don't That's think cool. he you will don't mind. discuss most things with well, me. Well, because it just kind of. I thought about it during the movie, and I did not want to interrupt you. But next week, I'm. This is going to be a first for our show. We have not touched this franchise or this director at all, so I'm super excited. You're scaring me. <laughs> no, you're gonna go. Oh. <laughs> But I'm excited nonetheless. Uh, our next Easter egg is going to go to our friend all the way in Australia, Kate Lamp. And for her, we are going to cover Saw. Can't remember, 2003, 2004? Saw. Something like that. Yes, the oh, first Saw. Okay. Best one in the bunch. If you say so. Oh, really? <laughs> what what Saw movie do you prefer in the eight and nine movie franchise okay. that it is? I have slept through all of them, so I don't know. No. <laughs> no, I have very, very vivid memories of you watching that first film and being like, holy shit. Well, that, I slept through most of it. And I woke up right at the end when he gets no. up off the floor and I'm like, what the fuck is going no, on? No, he is so full of it. We no. sat in our living room, watched the movie start to finish, and it blew his mind. That movie was fucked up. Yes. I do I do know the first one pretty well, I think. So anyway, so that is our, that is our next Easter egg. And that's what we will be talking about next week. So thank you for listening to Dead and Married. I'm Ashley. I'm Travis. Death to Videodrome. Long live the new flesh. What would you do to save the life of a teenage boy? If you subscribe to our Patreon for just <laughs> 3 to $10 a month, you can get Aiden out of the industrial-sized hamster wheel we use to power our show. <laughs> for that, you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove Aiden's handcuffs. He doesn't run worth a shit with them on anyway. Also be sure to show your support on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration. <laughs>